I'm super excited and truly, folks, this is a, a huge resource that we've been provided, and I'm just really amazed that Family Strong was able to get Dr. Tina Stefanski to be able to talk to us personally about uh, COVID vac- uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Tina Stefanski is the Regional Medical Director and Administrator for the Louisiana Department of Health, Office of Public Health in the seven parish regions of Acadiana. So we've got the, the, the big dog on the line, and I'm so excited to have her. She's originally from Crowley. I did not know she was from this area. And she's a graduate with honors from LSU in 1993 and from their medical school in New Orleans in 1997. Dr. Stefanski completed her residency in pediatrics at LSU in New Orleans in 2000 and has been working with the state of Louisiana Office of Public Health for the last 19 years. In addition to her role with OPH in Acadiana, she also serves as the medical director for the OPH Bureau of Regional and Clinical Operations. And if her name sounds familiar to you, but you just can't place her, Dr. Stefanski has been the doctor that has, that all of our local and state officials have been referencing and having on their conference, um, on their weekly updates and daily updates. Dr. Stefanski is the, uh, the doctor that they would have from the Department of Health that would be joining them. So to be able to have her personally join us on the call is huge, and it truly is a blessing. I'll ask that you hold all of your questions until the end of her presentation, and then that way she can convey all of the information that she needs to convey to us. I ask you, as always, to grab paper and pencil, and if you have a question or comment that you'd like to ask, please hold it till the end. Make sure that you write it down so that you can get all of your questions and concerns addressed. Right now we're all on mute, and to unmute yourself, you dial star six whether you're on a house phone or a landline. Sometimes if you're on your cell phone, you've also hit mute on your cell phone. So make sure that you, uh, if you're on your cell phone, that you hit unmute. And Dr. Stefanski has just unmuted herself. Thank you again so much for joining us. I really appreciate you giving up your time today. Uh, hey, good morning. Thank you. And, and those are such kind words. And, um, and, and I just really I have to recognize the work, and I didn't realize that you've only been around. I guess I've been in this job for a while now, so um, that you've only been around since 2012 um, is impressive to me um, because I've heard, and, and I know from our Nurse Family Partnership Program, um, what, what wonderful work that y'all do, and also through our health units uh, there, uh, through our, our public health units, and also our community health worker, um, our, our community health worker project uh, in St. Landry Parish. Y'all have been a uh, just an incredible partner, and I heard more about y'all, again, through from our NFP and Community Health Worker Projects. And as a pediatrician, you know, that's my, um, that, that's my training. I, I just recognize and appreciate the work that y'all do and the support that y'all give to families because that is really, um, you know, that, 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 uh, that, that's the way forward when we talk about all of our physical and mental health problems. It's really helping to support families um, so that we can all, you know, we can all live our, our, best, um, our, our best lives. And so thank you for the work that y'all do. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, your wonderful partners. Um, so I didn't prepare, you know, formal presentation. What I'll do is just kind of get y'all an update. And I think it's, it's really timely because there have been some things that have changed. You know, just there are some updates just over the past, you know, couple of days and weeks. So 
I'm hope, you know, I'm hoping the information that I shared with y'all is is, um, is a benefit to you in, in your daily work. And then, you know, of course, y'all will be happy to answer um, as best I can any questions that y'all have. So, you know, I think we all recognize the toll that, that COVID has had over this past year. And, and when we when we talk about, you know, people who, uh, families, uh, people who were sickened by COVID, people who died, you know, we had well over 1,000 people in our region who died um, as a result of COVID. You know, the, the, the you know, just, um, uh, of course, an unbelievable uh, toll on, on individuals and on families. We know um, now there's some evidence that up to 30% of people, and that's some new evidence po uh, published in the Journal of American Medical Association, that um, up to 30% of people who had COVID continue to have symptoms up to nine months after their initial infection. Um, and that's been pretty consistent with other studies that have showed, again, up, up to about 30% of people are reporting persistent symptoms. And I heard something on the national news, and I'll have to look for the study this morning, that talked about depression um, and, and, and other, um, you know, just kind of unexpected consequences of a viral infection. But people, in addition, would talk about long-term problems, you know, you would expect lung issues because so much, so much of the effects of, of COVID, does, you know, it attacks your lungs, it attacks your heart but it also neurologically affects you. And so I think we're, we're going to learn a lot more about COVID, the virus over these COVID-19 over the next couple of months. But I think, you know, it's important to understand all of that because, you know, our goal now is to vaccinate people. We've got safe and effective vaccines and, and we want people to recognize that, you know, when, when we talk about the effects of COVID, it's a new virus and, and we're still learning and, and it's not to scare people, but it's just to, to share realistic information. And I think the more these studies come, um, you know, come out and people see this evidence, they realize that, okay, the evidence about these safe and effective vaccines really um, should, you know, should counter all of, all of the negative talk that's out there um, and, and, and really lots of incorrect information that's been shared about the vaccines. So, um, so I'll move into to vaccinations and, and just give you all an update about where we are in, in our state and in our region and, and country. And, you know, we really only started vaccinating um, at the end of last year, and of course, y'all know it started with healthcare, and then it really opened up, you know, through nursing homes, and then most at risk. And now it's open to, to really anyone, 16 and above, who's, um, you know, who's interested in being vaccinated. So that's that's great. Um, our, our state is doing is doing well. We're we're keeping up essentially with the rest of the nation. We're in the top tier when you look at. Uh, we're above the national average when you look at the um, percent of population vaccinated. In Louisiana, you know, that number is pretty fluid. It, it, we update it a couple times a week, but we're at about 18 percent. Um, vaccinated in the state, fully vaccinated. Um, and again, we're, we're keeping up. There's some states that are ahead of us, lots of states who are behind us. So we're, we're doing well as far as the state with percent of population vaccinated. In Acadiana, we're um, we're at about uh, 14 to 15 percent fully vaccinated. So we're not as we're not as good as, as some of the other parts of the state. So, for example, the New Orleans region is is like 22, 23 percent. The Baton Rouge region. Um, we're we're pretty much in line with the rest of the state. Um, the northern part of the state's at about 17%, and and, and again we're at about 14%. So we've got work to do, um, and 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 we acknowledge that, and we're working really hard to make sure that people understand the importance of the vaccine, and and also trying to figure out what is the what's leading to some of, of maybe this vaccine hesitancy. So. Um, you know, and, and that's why when I talk about understanding that, you know, risk benefits, it's, it's definitely these, these vaccines are safe and effective and, and we want people to take advantage of them. And so I think y'all probably know the strategy. I think the governor's done an incredible job of, um, of, of how we've rolled out these vaccinations. And so, you know, it started um, in hospitals. 
um, in pharmacies. And so y'all, y'all um, probably know uh, Lafayette General and Lafayette has kind of had this, you know, site and that these are this is really all part of the strategy of an, an anchor site. And, and Austin is doing that really across the state daily, open daily. They moved in Lafayette to the Martin Luther King Center on April 1st. So they're there daily. Um, and Opelousas General has done an incredible job in St. Landry Parish vaccinating at the Civic Center. And I think they're moving now out to the Crot Springs area. Um, and then other hospitals uh, in Eunice, Acadian Medical Center, um, has been vaccinating. And so it, it's really uh, Savoie, uh, really our hospitals across the board um, have been doing a great job of, of vaccinating and then um, and then opened up to pharmacies. And so it's there and available to anyone in the community. Um, pharmacies should not be prioritizing their, their own patients, neither should hospitals. It's, it's open for anyone. The vaccine is free of charge. If you've got insurance, um, then your insurance can be billed for the administration, but uh, but no one should ever have to pay out of pocket for um, for a vaccination. And we've got three vaccines available to us, um, Moderna and Pfizer, and those are the first two, um, and those are called mRNA um, vaccines, which is a different, not a new technology, but new uh, to vaccination um, broad scale to this level. So two mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, those are two-dose vaccines, and then the J&J, which is a single-dose vaccine. And so we've been administering all of those either through hospitals, pharmacies, or now these bigger kind of strike team efforts. And so y'all may see us, we kind of, I say, take our show on the road. It's the Office of Public Health, the National Guard, volunteers, um, and, and we also now have strike teams available through a contract. So we're out. So today, for example, I'm here at UL, and we're, um, we're going to be here three um, three times this month of April. We're going to LSUE, and we're working with SLCC to try to capture those college-age students. Um, and then we've got, we're at a church in uh, in Kaplan today and at a park um, in West End Park in New Iberia. And so that is now our focus, is, is to move to these community sites, community-based um, vaccination sites, knowing that people, we've kind of got the, the, the big population um, addressed through, you know, over the last several weeks, and now we need to go and really target our efforts to communities where people might feel more comfortable being vaccinated, they might have transportation issues and can't get anywhere else. So, um, so that's what we're... That's what we're working on now. Um, I, I did want to talk a little bit because this number came out, um, I think, over the weekend. There have been some breakthrough cases reported. And so that is when someone's fully vaccinated. And fully vaccinated means um, two weeks after your last dose of vaccine. So two weeks after your single dose of Johnson & Johnson or two weeks after your second dose of Pfizer or Moderna, that's when you're considered fully vaccinated. So. Um, we know also that some some, God, some uh, studies have come out, I think, from, um, well, yeah, from Israel um, originally and then now some studies through some big hospital systems across the country that you probably have really good protection after your first, even more than we thought, up to 80% protection after your first dose of Pfizer or Moderna um, and, up to, and, and greater than 90% after your second. But we're still saying fully vaccinated is two doses of the vaccine. We don't know how long that immunity lasts after one dose. And so for they call it durability. You want uh, the most durable antibody response. You want the best, the longest, the strongest, and that is achieved after two doses of those two vaccines. So once you're fully vaccinated, um, you know, the, the idea is that very few people should get COVID. So Pfizer and Moderna are 94, 95% effective um, is what their clinical trials have shown, effective in preventing disease. Um, and Johnson & Johnson in the U.S., a little more than 70% effective. 
and overall over 66% effective. But all three of those vaccines are just about 100% effective in preventing severe cases and deaths. So that's that's the message. Um, so we do know to expect that there no vaccines 100% effective in preventing disease. You think about the flu, you get the flu shot, but still get the um, get the flu. So we expected these breakthrough cases. So Louisiana is going to report that number once a week. And so um, last week we reported 126 breakthrough cases uh, across the state. Now, when you think we've, we've vaccinated, we've administered over 2 million doses, that's, that's a pretty small number. And so that's probably about what we would expect based on the studies. And about half of those 126 were asymptomatic. Um, and that's, they were just picked up, like they might work in a nursing home, for example, or be a resident of a nursing home and might have just been tested um, as, a, as part of the routine testing. So I did want to uh, address that. The other thing I want to talk a little bit about is the side effects. So a lot of people questioning, you know, these vaccines, they're new. What are the side effects? Um, and so, again, we've administered the country over 150 million doses of the vaccine. And there's been no serious side, ver uh, serious side effect that has been causally related to the vaccine. Um, anaphylaxis is one that was expected. And so that's when someone after vaccination has an allergic response and so bad that they might need epinephrine because they're having trouble breathing. That was expected and that, ha that can happen with, with vaccination. Um, it is rare, only two to five people per million have an anaphylactic um, reaction or at risk for one. And, and most of those are in, um, interestingly, women, have a great percentage of women, and the great majority of those had a history of, of, of serious allergic reaction to something. So if you go in to be vaccinated, that's one of the questions we're going to ask you. And if you say yes, when, you know, iodine, um, I get a rash, or when I take penicillin, I get a rash, or I have trouble breathing, um, we're going to watch you for 30 minutes because most of the reactions occur within 30 minutes if they're going to occur. Um, other than that, the side effects are um, what you would expect from an immune response. So your body is, is responding to the vaccine, making those protective antibodies and immune uh, cells. And so it's soreness at the site. It's most common after the second shot. Um, some of these other symptoms that I'm going to talk about. Or if you had COVID before, your body already had those protective cells made. And so when they see the vaccine, they start, they, it kind of kicks into overdrive. And so that is like body aches, a low-grade fever. Um, some people might have fever up to 102, 103, but most people it's low grade. Some people have what, what's called rigors, like shaking chills, um, nausea, headache. Those are the kinds of uh, immune responses um, that you could expect, more common in younger people than in older people. And they should only last, um, by three days you should feel fine, and those symptoms really should only last a couple of hours. Um, but you may feel some fatigue, but then by 72 hours you should, you should be feeling fine. Um, there's a small number of reports of people that had, you might have heard it, COVID arm, and that's where they get this local reaction, and that is a delayed reaction. Um, and they biopsied one of those individuals, and it was immune cells. And so it was, it was, again, part of your immune system response to the vaccine. Um, so when, when we talk about side effects, we do want people to know that there are symptoms, but, um, but, but they're, they're not necessarily the vaccine. It's, it's your body's immune response. Um, and then I'm just going to end with a variance. And so y'all probably also heard a lot about variance in, 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 the national, um, in the national and state news. So the good news is um, the vaccines that we have now um, are expected to uh, 
produce enough antibodies to be protective against the variant. So that's the great news, and that, I think that, that's the big message. The vaccines are so good, they produce, they, they, uh, and part of that immune response that we're talking about, um, what, it in, what you end up with is a high level of antibodies. And so because of that, um, even if the variant is a little bit different um, and the, the vaccine responds a little bit different, your antibodies are so high, it's enough to prevent severe, um, severe disease. So that's, that's the important thing. But the variant numbers are increasing in the state. The, the UK variant, that's, you know, probably the majority of the circulating strains in the U.S. now. Um, in Louisiana, it's reported at 13%. But that's as of mid-March. That number lags um, by four weeks. So we, that's surely underrepresented, and we expect it's much more. For example, in a month's time, it doubled. Um, that, that percent doubled. And we also have the California strain that's circulating, and that, that percentage tripled. So we uh, current reported numbers, I think as of yesterday, in Louisiana, 13% of the strains circulating are the U.K., and about 7% are the California variant. And so that's about 20%, and the rest are the wild type. Again, we probably have more variants than that circulating. That number just, just lags. But, again, the good news is the vaccine is protective. The other thing um, that, that, that I will end on are, are these monoclonal antibodies. So if you know someone who gets COVID, um, you know, although our numbers are low now, that's the good news. Our, our numbers of COVID are, are low. If, however, if you do know someone that, um, that has those symptoms, they shouldn't get tested, especially if they're high risk. Hopefully they were vaccinated, but if they weren't, you know, they, they need, really need to consider COVID. It's, it's still a possibility. Um, there are these uh, infusions called monoclonal antibodies. And that is uh, kind of really a game changer. Those were uh, available to us um, around November last year, November, December. And so that, that, that really is the message is that um, we've, done, we've learned a lot about treatment of COVID. There are these therapeutics that are available. Um, but interestingly, one of them, the variants already evaded one of those monoclonal antibodies. And so one of the products is essentially being pulled, that California variant that I told you about, started to kind of evade um, one of the antibody products. And so um, they, they've already changed it, and, and it's available, so we've got two good products available to us. But uh, just to say that that's the beauty of science is that they're able to keep up um, as these variants, um, as we start to see these variants, they're able to make sure that the therapeutics and the vaccine, you know, that, that's the goal, is to make sure that we have these, these two good agents to help us um, in that battle. But that's, it's an ongoing, you know, it's an ongoing process. Um, so that, that, that's really it for me. And, um, you know, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and I'd be happy uh, to answer any, um, any questions that, that your uh, listeners might have. Thank you so much for that presentation. You did a great job. Um, and now I've got to go and look at the California and the UK yeah. variant. So this is yeah, you know, I will say, yeah, and I'll say the California variant, um, I think that kind of, that, that's of interest to me too. And I, and I think to some of the epidemiologists that we've talked with, we, we're really watching that because of course we knew the UK variant. Um, was going to spread because it's you know so much more contagious um, than the than the uh, original if you would call you know you could call it COVID nineteen virus. Um, so the UK variant we expected that, but uh, the, the California variant we're all watching that because it's um, it is also you know increasing here. And for the callers that are, I can see everyone that's on the call, and I want to thank everybody that's on the call. Well over thirty callers, uh, and our numbers are constantly creeping up. We talked about 
the variants and the strains way back when we first started the call. And we've had several calls where we told you all that the great thing about COVID um, is that it, it didn't, it, it didn't um, mutate as frequently like the flu. And so that's great, but unfortunately we are seeing some variants, some mutations, but the great thing is is that the vaccine seems to be very effective against it. And I don't know um, about what Dr. Stefanski has to say, but from the research that I've seen, one of the reasons that the Johnson & Johnson isn't as, a, as effective per se and that's the one that I took, is because it, it's the one that had been tested against the variants because it was coming out a little later, so it's been tested yeah. against the different variants. And I think that that has a lot to do with its, um, the, the effective rate, and, and that's not just me. That's what I'm getting from as I'm yeah. to, uh, experts like Dr. John Campbell. But either way it goes, take one of them, <laughs> whether, yeah. you, whether it's the Johnson & Johnson or it is the Pfizer Moderna, uh, take one of them. Yes, and, and I'm glad you, you pointed that out because you cannot compare the clinical trials and the percentages. You can't compare uh, Moderna and Pfizer against Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson was studied, as you said, it was later. It was a couple months later um, than Moderna and Pfizer. So it was studied with the variants in play. Um, so that was, that was, that's one, um, one definitely change. And then it was also studied in, in really three big uh, countries. And so got a lot, again, with all these variants and different circulating strains. And so the the fact that even with all of that in with all of those factors, it was still um, no one who was I think it was eight weeks after um, they received the Johnson and Johnson was was kind of the latest at the time studied. No one had been admitted to the hospital or had serious infection after that vaccine. So that and that's what we want. Um, so yes, we have three great vaccines. We do, we do, and, and I know that you know some there was some concern, uh, and I will admit, callers know that I'm very frank which is, I think, one of the reasons that we've been able to be so successful is because people trust me to, to, you know, to say the truth and to try to come from the most informed place. I was one of those people who, who, was, hesitant, who was hesitant about it. But this vaccine isn't built on 100% brand-new technology, and Dr. Stefanski said that. Yes. These aren't, these aren't brand – because coronavirus is – while the 19 is, is new, coronavirus is not new to science. And so we've got there was some there was some foundations and supports in place for these vaccines to be um built off of because there there was already a really great platform for them to step off of. Yep. You're you're yes, you're exactly right. The mRNA technology, so Johnson Johnson and Moderna, um is not a new technology. It's been studied for decades. Um they um there are some vaccines that were in that have been in production um, Ebola, even uh, one of the uh, flu vaccines. Um, so those, it, it's been studied. Um, it is part, it's using a cancer therapeutic. So mRNA, the technology, as you said, has it, been around for a couple of decades. It's not new. This is, it's just new to this broad scale vaccination campaign. And, and then Johnson and Johnson, the, um, it's an, it's a little bit different technology. It's this adenovirus vector technology. Um, that is the uh, Zika vaccine. Um, uses that that technology. So again, it, it's not new. Um, it's just newer to to this, you know, to this scale of, of things, I guess, if you will. It cannot enter. And I also want to say that these vaccines, um, you know, it's mRNA, and it just means that's instructions for your body to make the pro, a little part of the spike proteins that your body can 
develop those immune cells. Um, but, but the mRNA does not enter the nucleus of your cell. It cannot alter your DNA. And your body breaks it, degrades it after, you know, a couple of days, um, a week or so, breaks up that mRNA and gets rid of it, expels it. Um, so it's not something that you hold on to. What, we, what we're left with are the antibodies. That's, that's the end result of the vaccine. Thank you. Are there any, and I'm trying to think of possible questions that folks might want to ask. Well, I also want to, I also want to, yes. Yeah, and I I, I do want to acknowledge too, you know, there was a lot of concern about African-American hesitancy in vaccinations. And so just, you know, want everyone to know we we monitor, we're looking and trying to figure out where the, where the, where do we need to to put some effort towards um, vaccinations. And I'll tell you, for our region, um, our African American populate, um, our African American vaccination rates are good. Um, we're, we're not seeing we're not seeing that big uh, level of, of hesitancy. Um, they're about in line with what you would expect by, for the population. So that's wonderful. Where we are seeing the gaps in vaccination are in our rural areas. We we have these maps and we're able to track it. And so now uh, we're really trying to put some effort, kind of these grassroots campaign to the to the rural areas and, and figure out what's going on there and how we can help people. Um, to connect to vaccines. And the great thing is, is that because you guys are mobile, that will definitely help address that because that's one of the problems in this area is that we just have a lack of mobility when it comes to yes. being able to get to those services. And it's just hard to, you know, schedule transportation just for a vaccine um, when, the, when the vaccination, administ- you know, the way it's administered is, is kind of um, cumbersome for some folks. So you guys be yeah. able to get out into the communities, get to Crotch Springs, Palmetto, little areas like that throughout the state, I think is definitely going to help. And then with grassroots organizations like Family Strong and, 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 and our community partners, making sure that we're letting our partners know and letting our um, community know that, hey, this, these are safe. And so I have, you know, I am fully vaccinated. It was a hard decision. I'll be honest with everybody on the line. When they stuck the needle in my arm, I literally cried, not from pain, but just from this internal debate that I'd been having with myself. But at the end of the day, I want to get out of my house, folks, and I want to be able to move around and be able to to fellowship and socialize safely without putting myself or anyone else at risk. And that's the reason why I decided to vaccinate. And then my dad was able to come down for Easter. We were able to hug and we haven't seen each other uh, in that capacity since 2019. So that was, those were were my decisions. Um, I've read, and, and in August, I have to go back into the world. So I think the decision not to vaccinate or to be hesitant on my part, I'm just being honest, came from a place of luxury. Because I've been able to be home, as much as I complain about it, I've been home since March 13, 2020, and, um, and that's a blessing. So I didn't have to worry about the But in August, I'm going back out into the freight, and I don't want to. I want to make sure that I'm protected and that I'm protecting those around me. Um, and so that's why I decided to take the vaccine. I want to thank Dr. Stefanski. Before I just do a general unmuting, are there any questions? For Dr. Stefanski, dial star six, and then I'll do a general unmute, but sometimes people get through. All right, and I see that we've got someone who's coming off mute. Yes, ma'am. Yes, my question, I have two questions. The first one is, when do you see the uh, vaccines being available for 15 and under? And um, the other question is, 
you, you're talking about the new variant. So what's different in the California and the UK? What's the new things that their symptoms that they're bringing about? Okay, sure. So two, so one, Pfizer um, is really wrapping up their, their phase three clinical trials of um, for kids 12 to 15. And so really, you know, we don't, we don't have a timeline yet, but it is expected that they're going to go before the FDA probably in the next month or two <clears throat> for approval to extend their vaccination down to 12. And so we're really thinking and, and you know, we're not, not publicly planning, but, but starting to strategize for what are we going to do, um, you know, this summer. Um, expecting that they are going to be, you know, we, we will hopefully by the end of the summer able at least by, be able to open up to, to kids down to age 12. So, so be, look, be on the lookout. That would be the one. Um, I think Pfizer's already down to 16. Um, so if you've got anyone less than 18, the only vaccine that's available to them is 16 and above can get Pfizer. But we expect that's going to move down to 12 pretty soon. Um, and then the variant. So the big thing about the variant, so the U.K. variant is, um, again, the one's probably the most, common across the U.S. now, circulating strain is more, more contagious, very much more contagious, you know, up to twice as contagious is the regular strain. Um, and the reports out of the U.K. is that it does make people sicker and it leads to greater hospitalizations. But we don't have enough data yet in the U.S. to be able to confirm that. But that's, that's some of the early data coming out of the U.K. The California is just really soon, kind of soon to know yet. It could, make, it could be more contagious. Which would it, it would seem like if it's becoming the more predominant strain, you know, if it's if it's starting to spread like like it is, but we don't know yet. So just kind of be on the lookout for that. The two big ones is monitoring the vaccine effectiveness and these therapeutics. And I guess for me the biggest one is that this California variant had what they called a significant impact on those monoclonal antibodies. And and but again. Um, you know, again to the world of science, they they were on top of that, and so we're able to quickly once in fact. When the California strain started circulating in California, um, they, they, they very quickly stopped that one medication there and, 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 and sent them only the, the two dose, essentially. And so now across the whole U.S., because we're seeing the strain circulate, they, they changed that product. But that's the two, that's the biggies, is, is uh, monitoring the vaccine and so forth, so good with that, and then making sure that the medication we use to treat it is still effective. And that's the, the California variant, the one that's kind of uh, tricky when, when you talk about that. Yes, I have a question. Yes, go ahead. If you already had the virus, what's the wait time to get the vex to get the vaccine? Yeah, that's a good question. And so, right now, so if you remember, like right when the vaccines first came out, we said if you had COVID, wait ninety days before you get vaccinated. Wait three months, um, and that's because we didn't have enough vaccine. So now that now the the and and you're expected, you should have. Your own, if you had COVID, you should be protected through your own natural immunity for, we're hoping up to three months, for up to three months is the, is the current thinking, and you may, maybe more, we just don't know yet. So that's why we said for three months, you should be protected. However, um, now we, we've got enough vaccine. The message that we're giving to people now is you, you can wait three months. If you want to get vaccinated sooner, you can. Um, you, as long as you're fully recovered. So we usually tell people, wait at least two weeks after you had COVID before you get vaccinated. And unless you had these monoclonal antibodies, if you went somewhere and got an infusion to treat your COVID, then you'd have to wait 90 days because the vaccine won't be as effective. So, um, so if you had the antibody, if you had the infusion, you have to wait 90 days. 
If not, you can get it really as soon as you want, as long as you, you know, as long as it's been a couple weeks and you're fully recovered. Now, you will probably have a greater response, right? Mm-hmm. So after that first dose, you know, in the next day or so, you, you're going to probably have a headache, low-grade fever. Um, but, uh, but, but it's going to produce a higher level of antibodies. So, for example, the people that usually do that, people who work in healthcare and have a high risk of exposure, if someone's going to be traveling, if they, um, you know, if they're really high risk, their doctor might say, hey, look, I want you to have the highest level of antibody protection as soon as you can so they get vaccinated sooner. That was a very good question. Thank you very much for that question because I, I we, we often I often get asked that question and so uh, and I'm glad that we got it directly from Dr. Stefanski because uh, I had been defaulting to the 90 days. I always default to ask your medical professional. That's my first yeah. default. But then afterwards, I had been telling folks 90 days. Um, and so I'm glad to hear I made sure to make note of that two weeks, at least after having it to 90 days, unless they've had that infusion, and in which case, then they need to wait the 90 days. Um, and we talked about Correct. the infusion on one of our past calls. We had a caller on who joined us who donated um, plasma or blood, I believe, uh, to help with that. I'm assuming that that's all part of that infusion. Well, is no, and and I don't, and it's not, and it's a very common misconception. So the plasma, oh, thank you. sometimes it's called convalescent plasma. So early on, that was really thought to be a, a key to treatment. It's really, we're still not exactly sure how effective it is, but when someone's hospitalized, that is often one of the treatments, especially if they're really sick. That's when you get everything you can. So that is, um, so someone's hospitalized, they're going to get an anti, something called remdesivir, which is an antiviral medication. They might get steroids, and they might get that plasma from someone who had COVID. These monoclonal antibodies are different. They're actually, um, it's just a medication. It's engineered. You know, it's not a, it's not a blood product. Um, and that's, oh, so it's okay. a little bit, it is different. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, those are really, you know, I think of, of Trump, you know, when you'd hear about the Trump cocktail, that was those. Um, monoclonal antibodies where, again, it's the whole goal with those okay. is to prevent you from ending up in the hospital. So, um, so that is, uh, that's, and that's a newer medication. Okay, and then this is, so I understand now, I'm, thank you for that clarity, and now I've got to go research it, because I believe that this monoclonal, monochromal antibodies contain stem cells, and that was a little bit of the controversy. Am I correct or am I incorrect in that? Huh, I don't think it does. I'm going to have to look. Okay. One of the vaccines, there is some with, with Johnson. Well, there, there's a vaccine that we don't give that um, yet here in the U.S. That there was, there was, uh, but the stem cell or the, the aborted fetus issue is related to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, oh, okay. And, and it's really an unfortunate controversy because to me it's not really a controversy. Um, but it, it, it has become that. And that is in the 1960s. There was a stem cell or a cell line from an aborted fetus that helped to with vaccine production with a cell line, and so it's not ongoing. It's not an ongoing issue. It's, so this this cell line that these pharmaceutical companies, I guess, use in their production of vaccines in some vaccines, it, that okay. cell line from the 1960s was not used for Moderna. It's being replicated. Okay. Right. Exactly, right. and so it's not an and ongoing. So it's not. From, yeah. Yeah, it was it was from the 1960s, so that that may be what you're referencing. 
Okay, thank you. And see, these are all really good. And, you know, like I say, the, the, I think one of my gifts from God is one of my friends told me one time, I just say what everybody else is thinking. And so I know yes. that there's been, because of private conversations, and a lot of times I just use myself as, an, as the antidotal, but really I, it's been a conversation. And so we've had a lot of conversations because I try to be as accessible as I can to the folks um, that we've become good, you know, try to be stewards of. And so these are all conversations that we've had, and that's why I wanted to get Dr. Stefanski, the actual yes. professional, on the line so that you guys can hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And then there's no questions. Or if you've had questions, now you've got really great information um, and that now you can be a, a resource to, to the folks in your community. And so I hope that that's what you guys have been doing with the information that you've been gaining on these calls. You've been using it for yourself, but you've also been using it for your family. So I am, that was a blessing to be able to get Dr. Stefanski um, on the call. We're so glad that you took time out to join us today. And we hope that you'll come back next Wednesday for another episode of Dr. Shonda Says. I'm Dr. Shonda, and I say, stay positive, but test negative. Want to join the action live? Call in every Wednesday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, and join the podcast live. The phone number is 609-663-1842. Every Wednesday for Wellness Wednesday Conference Call, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time.